Well, I think I may just jump into the sermon. Um, this is another one from Thomas Boston, uh, just briefly, who was a, a, a Scottish clergyman. He lived after the time of the uh, Westminster Confession. He lived 1676 through 1672, or through 1732. Um, he was born and raised in Scotland. He was uh, educated in, up in, um, I believe it was in Edinburgh, and uh, served he has a number of books out that um, many may be familiar with, The Human Nature in Its Fourfold State, The Crook in the Lot, and The Art of Man Fishing, among others. Uh, I think I read one from him last time. This one is entitled, uh, Believers Seeking a Continuing City. And if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, our, um, our text is going to be verse 14. But I'm, I'm going to read 10 through 16 to give us just a little bit of context there. Let us near ha- read now from God's holy and infallible word. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the camp. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Well, thus ends the reading of his holy word. So again, that text there is with regard to that, we have no continuing city, but seek one to come. Well, let us launch into our our sermon, and I will try to uh, keep you up with where we are in it, or at least attempt to do that. Heaven ever moves, and yet is that the place of our rest? Earth ever rests, and yet that is the place of our travel where we rest not. Time runs with a rapid course and carries all men swiftly down the stream. It admits of no delay, and whether we sleep or wake, we are carried forward to be sent forth within a little into the vast ocean of eternity and to land us either in heaven or hell. Whether we will or not, we must ere long bid farewell to the world. And were it as with man as it is with beasts, who when they are dead are done, we might sit at ease, suffering ourselves to be carried away with the stream at all adventures. But then man begins to live when he is dead and gone. And therefore, having here no continuing city, what remains but that we direct our course to one that is to come and which is the great thing our text aims at. And so which we will consider first a supposition, that is a thing that is supposed, an assumption that the author is going to make here. The apostle plainly supposes our absolute need of a continuing city. That is a place of true happiness and rest, 
for so it must be understood. For otherwise, hell is of the same continuance as heaven. Man is capable of happiness, and, is, and the desire of it is interwoven with his nature. No man is insensible that he labors under some great defects, and every man sees the need he has of something to give him perfect rest and satisfaction. And therefore the soul, like a hungry infant, sucks at whatever it comes, and finding no rest in one thing, it goes to another, and never can attain the true rest until it be perfectly carried to God himself to take up its everlasting rest in him. So we have a position consisting in two parts. First, that the continuing city is not to be found in this world. And then secondly, that the continuing city is to come. So first, that that continuing city is not found here. Our rest is not here. Here we do but sojourn for a time. And no sooner we come into it, but as soon as we begin our journey to go out of it again, and like the rising sun, haste forward to the going down. We begin then to die when we begin to live, and death follows our life as the shadow does the body till at length it overcomes us or overturns us. Then the tale is told and the fable of life of this world is ended. And then secondly, that the continuing city is to come. There is a place of perfect happiness and rest for the children of men, though not here. The present world affords many fine cities, but the world to come has only that continuing city. Heaven is that continuing city. Hebrews 12:28 says that it is a kingdom which cannot be moved, in which there are many mansions for the heirs of glory when come home from their travels. We have also in the text the practice of the godly, most important to both parts of this position. They admit the conviction of this world's emptiness, and they live under the sense of that. They look upon the world as it is in itself, as indeed affording no continuing city to them. They say, we have here no continuing city. We see none. We seek none. We expect none in it. But they seek that which is to come. The Greek word there is emphatical and signifies to seek with all our might, to seek with great care and solicitude. They don't sit down, they don't faintly wish for it, but they set themselves earnestly by all means to obtain it. Their former question, who will show us any good, is turned to that, what shall I do to be saved? While others are taken up about pleasant things, they are laboring to procure themselves a, a, a blessing of immor, a blessed immortality. And lastly, regarding this supposition of the, the need of that continuing city, we understand this connection. These words are given as a reason or a motive to stir up the, to that duty that is proposed in verse 13, namely, that we ought to be denied to the world and to take up Christ's cross and patiently bear all reproaches for him. For why, says the apostle, we have no continuing city here. And ere long we shall be out of the reach of enemies. And even at this time, we are seeking other things than which the world can afford. And that brings us to the doctrine that our author would have us to know, which is this. We have no continuing city in this world. But it is the duty of all and the practice of the godly 
earnestly to seek after the continuing city which is above. And to open up that doctrine, we're going to have four points. First, to show that we have no continuing city here. Secondly, in what respects heaven is a continuing city. Third, to open at large the seeking of this continuing city. And then fourth, the reasonableness of this. Now, he's going to have multiple subpoints under those four main points, and I'll try to keep you up with where we are. So let's go to our first point to show that we have no continuing city here, and I think there's four points here. First, because the disillusion of this world is approaching, uh, and he references Psalm 102.6 and 2 Peter 3.7-12, and I'd like to read that second one. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the, word, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing, that, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and holiness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Well, that would seem to sum up that we have no continuing city here based on that. So it had a beginning, and it shall have an end. The day will come when the earth and all things therein shall be burned up, it was a dreadful day when Sodom was burned, but it will be much more dreadful when all the cities of the world can, will be consumed. Sodom, destined to the flames, was no city for Lot to continue therein. And seeing that this world must also be burned up, may we not conclude that we have no continuing city in it? Well, secondly, let us consider that because we must all remove from it by death, Death is settled by a fixed decree. It is appointed unto men, unto all men once to die. One generation passes away to give place to another. Every birth and every death is an argument to persuade us that we have no continuing city here. Every child that is born comes into the world with a warning away in its hand. Every dying person lets us see the way which we are to follow. There is room enough on the earth, notwithstanding all the vast numbers that have been before us. We must all answer that summons of death. It will not pity the poor, nor will it be bribed by the rich, nor boasted away by men of might. Third, because of the uncertainty of all things here below. Though we should last, and the world also, all worldly things stand on two lame legs, uncertainty and insufficiency, and therefore are not to be depended upon. There is nothing here that can satisfy the soul. He spoke like a fool who said, Soul, 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Though these things were sufficient, yet they are uncertain. And then fourthly, because the Lord never designed it for to be a continuing city. The Lord made it as a stage to serve for a time, to be taken down when men had acted their parts upon it. It was the place for the trial of the children of men. Heaven was the place prepared for the ungodly before the foundation of the world, and hell was prepared of old for others. The earth was only a narrow neck of land to be swallowed up of eternity. So let us continue now to our second point, which is to show in what respects heaven is that continuing city. And here, let me look. Um, Here we have seven points. First, the city itself is continuing. It is a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It is a kingdom which cannot be moved, 2 Corinthians 5.1. Though the footstool may be set aside, the throne must continue. The city prepared before the foundations of the world were laid must endure when the foundations of the world are overturned. It is a sure purchase that is made in the city above, for when the cities below shall be laid in ashes, this shall stand and flourish. Secondly, the Lord of the city is a continuing Lord, even Jesus Christ. He died once, but shall die no more. He has fought the battle for his people, and he has reached the crown and is set down on the throne. He sends his people such news as Joseph sent to his father. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down unto me and tarry not. Jesus continues forevermore. In respect of his natures, Revelation 1, 17 and 18, where it speaks about him being the first and the last as liveth and was dead and alive forevermore. The human nature which he took on, he never did and never will put off. Death made a separation betwixt his soul and body, but not betwixt his natures. The saints shall forever see the human nature united to the divine nature, the man Christ at the right hand of God. And in respect of his offices, he will be the prophet of that city forever. He that gave them the light of grace shall give them the light of glory. He is an everlasting priest, even a priest forever. It is true he will offer no more sacrifice, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. But he will externally exhibit that sacrifice, and he will intercede for his people. Hebrews 7.26 tells us that he is a high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. This is the everlasting security of the saints. He will be king there forever, for of his kingdom there shall be no end. Thirdly, the cities of that city are continuing. Life and immortality are brought to light by the gospel. There is no death there. The garments of glory shall never be put off. Death entered paradise, but it cannot enter this city where the Lord reigns in his glory. 1 Corinthians 15, 53, and 54 tell us, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Fourth, the abode of the citizens in this city is continuing. Adam was cast out of the earthly paradise and the Jews out of Canaan. But every saint shall be made a pillar in this temple of God and he shall go no more out. Heaven is the rest that remains for the people of God. They may have many a weary step in the wilderness, but when once they come home, they shall no more go abroad. And then our fifth here of, of the fact that, uh, that in respect, heaven is that continuing city. We see the privileges of it are continuing. They shall never be retrenched or removed or omitted. Who can count the privileges when the citizens, which the citizens enjoy there? The people of God in this world are highly privileged with the favor of God and peace with him, pardon of sin, adoption, sanctification. They shall have all of these in their utmost perfection to be continued forever. Their peculiar privileges in heaven are such as these. None of the miserable effects of sin are there. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation 21.4 No bodily pain, no soul distemper, no desertion. The Zion above will not complain that the Lord has forgotten her, or that God covers himself with a cloud, for there shall be no night there. There shall be no more sinning there, for there the spirits of just men are made perfect. The body of sin and death lies with the death of the body. The most holy person on earth sins, but the least star in heaven shall be without spot. Lamps of hell shall then wonder to see themselves shining lamps of glory. There shall not even be the possibility of sinning there. Adam, when created, had no sin, but the saints in the city above shall not be capable of sinning. They shall be forever confirmed in a sinless and happy state. We have told what it is not, but to tell you what it is is more difficult. We may, by attempting it, darken counsel without knowledge. So take only these two words. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 John 3, 2. These are words which the inhabitants of heaven only are fit to explain. So sixth, the work of that city is a continuing work. They rest not night or day, singing praises to him that sits upon the throne. The harps of the people of God are not always in their hands now. Sometimes they are hanged on the willows. Their work there will be eternal recreation and perfect pleasure. And so this teaches us that what we must be made meet for heaven. Um, and that we must serve our apprenticeship here in the ways of holiness before we can be admitted into that continuing city. And seventh and lastly, the rest 
quiet and safety of that city are continuing. So it is a kingdom that cannot be moved. There are four things that might put a city in hazard, but none of them are here in this city. First, you might have enemies laying siege to it without. Well, this puts the church in hazard here, and therefore there are watchmen set on the walls, but no enemy can approach to the city above. The devil and his army cannot come near it. Secondly, there might be the want or lack of provision within. Occasions hazard, but there shall be no lack there. For rivers of pleasures that never run dry are there. Thirdly, the inhabitants of the city might disagree among themselves, and that is very hazardous. This was as hurtful to the earthly Jerusalem as the Roman army was. But there can be no mutiny in this city. Then shall that be perfectly accomplished. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. The sad divisions amongst the Lord's people strike at the root of Christianity by muttering as much as that Christ is not come. Isaiah eleven six through 8, uh, where we read about the wolf dwelling with the leopard and so on. Therefore, our Lord prays that this people all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And so a fourth reason why a city might be overcome is that there might be mismanagement by the governor of the city, and that could bring danger. Wisdom will save a city, and folly will ruin it. But here we have infinite wisdom at the helm, and how can they miscarry? So we proceed to our third point, and that is opening at large the seeking of this continuing city. And, and here we have four points but before you get too excited, he has a lot of subpoints. So, so four main points under this point three, if you're keeping up. So again, let us open at large this, the seeking of this continuing, continuing city. So we shall show what it supposes, wherein it consists, what do they seek that are rightly seeking, and finally, the properties of this seeking. So what is it? What is this seeking? What does it suppose? Four things. It supposes the lack of a continuing city. None will seek what they do not want. When man sinned, he lost God, and so he lost a right to heaven. This all men by nature are under, and he that is thus seeking is sensible of his loss and is under conviction that the world can afford none such. Unless it were so, he would never seek it. Every serious seeker of heaven looks on the world as a wilderness and himself as a pilgrim and a stranger upon the earth. Hebrews 11, 13, and 14, which is our text. Or here it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were what? They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country or they seek another country. But alas, few are under the impression concerning the world. Secondly, the faith of a continuing city, that there is a place of happiness and rest. They believe that there remains a rest for the people of God. They see that there is a land afar off and that it is attainable by mortals. 
The faith of this is more rare than most men imagine. Were it a place in the world where men might live in all matter of prosperity, free from all evil, and all welcome to it that would go, would not men flock there if they really believed it? Thirdly, there is a sense of the need of it. Wise men will not seek that which they have no need of. The seeker of heaven sees the need he has of it. He is one of a more noble spirit than to be satisfied with the husks which the earth affords. The earth may serve the body during this mortal life, but he knows he has a soul that must live eternally and a body that must be raised up again and that this world can do him no service in these things. And then fourth, the soul turns its back upon the world. The person who seeks heaven with Paul forgets the things that are behind. He is coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke and answers that call, Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, Song of Solomon 4.8. We cannot seek both more than serve two contrary masters. Our arms are too short to grasp both heaven and earth at once. If you seek heaven, let go of earth. Secondly, wherein doth this seeking consist? Two things. It consists in, first, earnest desires after it. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Hebrews eleven sixteen. The soul desires to be there in due time. Their heart is there, for their treasure is there. Their souls are reconciled to heaven by the power of grace. They have seen the beauty of the holy land, the heavenly city, though not with their bodily eyes, yet with the eyes of faith. They have been captivated with the map of it in the word of God. They desire it because Christ is there, and there glory dwells, and holiness reigns forever. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.20. Most men have no such desires. They would quit their part in paradise if God would let them stay on this side of Jordan. And then secondly, in suitable endeavors for it. The want of this holds many out of heaven. The desire of the slothful kills him, for his hands refuse to labor, Proverbs 21:25. If wishes would carry men to heaven, then who would go to hell? But there are difficulties in the way which they cannot digest, and therefore they intermeddle not with it. But they who seek it aright turn the face of their souls that way, and they labor for it. Let us labor then for to enter into that rest, lest any man fall, and after the same, after the same example of unbelief, Hebrews 4.11. Strivers only are right seekers. Uh, I believe it's in Matthew 11.12. Strive, says our Lord, to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And then the, I think this is Matthew 11, actually. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Well, thirdly, what do they seek that are rightly seeking? And we have five things here. First, they seek the city of the Lord, or they, excuse me, they seek the Lord of the city. The command is, seek the Lord while he is to be found. 
Call upon him while he is near, Isaiah 55, 6. Jesus is the Lord of it, and he is himself the way and the door, and none can enter but by him, John 14, 6. Jesus is to the true seeker the greatest beauty of the upper house, Psalm 73, 25. The name of the city is the Lord is there. And, he, and this draws the soul of the believer hither. And if Christ were not there, heaven would not be heaven to the believer. Being risen with Christ, they seek the things which are above, where he sitteth at the right hand of God. Secondly, a right and title to it. By Adam's sin, we forfeited our right to it, and so we have our title to seek. We are commanded to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, 33. The soul sees itself miserable, whatever it has, if it have no right to this city, because hence Christ is precious. A match with the heir of all things is very desirable, seeing by him we are made citizens there. For through him we have access by one spirit, under the Father, and are made fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, Ephesians 2.18. Thirdly, a conformity to it. Even the kingdom of God to be within us. As every man labors to conform himself to the manners of the court where he desires to be, so the Christian has a conversation in heaven and desires to be more and more changed unto the image of the Savior, Heaven must come down unto us before we can get up to it. If our Father be in heaven, we will strive to be like him. Can we look on these to be seeking heaven, who mind nothing but the world and their lusts, whose thoughts, words, and actions there is nothing of heaven? Fourth, evidences of the city. The soul will not only seek a right to it, but to know his right. Hence, they will be crying, show me a token for good. When their interest is darkened, their hearts are filled with sadness. When they behold it, their souls rejoice when they can say, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5.1 a man that is seeking to buy houses or lands will labor to get good evidences of his right to them. And then lastly, the process of it in due time. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. One time or another, you will be at Paul's wish, which was a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Christ gives it as an encouragement to his people I go, he says, to prepare a place for you. And therefore they seek and wait till their minority be passed, that they may enter as heirs to that glory, and desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is in heaven. I, will close, I shall close with a word of use that has been said, Bestir yourselves then to seek after the continuing city. Are there, are there not many among us who have neither right to nor evidence of heaven, who live here as if this were their rest, as if they were never to remove, who, if death were to seize them this day, 
know not where they would lodge through the long night of eternity. Consider the motive in the text. We have no continuing city here. We must continue forever, but not here. Were we to die like the beast, we might live as they do. But we have never dying souls. Oh, consider well that you must remove, that you may seek in a time a continuing city. Death is posted on. Our life is but a vapor, a shadow, a nothing. The grave we visit, there is no continuance here. So next, let us, continue, let us consider the properties of this seeking. And there are eight, but I think they're, they're, they go pretty rapid fire here. How must we seek if we would succeed? It is a necessary question, for our Lord tells us, many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.5, that a man is not crowned unless he strive lawfully. There may be much seeking to little purpose. So first... They that rightly seek the continuing city seek it laboriously. They labor to enter into that rest, Hebrews 4.11. They must not only open their mouths as beggars, but they must ply their hands as workmen (coughs) seeking their daily bread, who earn it with the sweat of their brow. We must seek it as silver and search for it as for hid treasures. Many would be fed like the fowls who neither sow nor gather into barns, and to be clothed like the lilies who neither toil nor spin. They would receive heaven if it would fall down into their mouths, but they cannot think of working for it. They have something else to do. It is true our labors and pains will not bring us there, but there is no getting there without it. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five: The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. For consider the several notions of the way to heaven, all importing true labor. We must work, yea, work out our own salvation, or otherwise we lose what we have done. It is as the work of the husbandman, which is not easy. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Jeremiah 4.3. It is the running of a race that requires patience and much eagerness, for we must press toward the mark and so run that we may obtain. We must wrestle and fight for it, for heaven has a straight or a narrow gate and cannot be entered with ease. We must strive to enter, yea, we must press into it and take it by violence. We must put forth our utmost strength as those who are agonizing. Luke 13.24, strive to enter in that straight gate and at last overcome. Revelation 3.12. These are the metaphors by which the Christian's exercises are described and they certainly denote real labor. And consider also the types of the way to heaven. Many a weary step, Many a bloody battle had the Israelites before they could settle themselves in Canaan. Jerusalem stood on a hill and was surrounded with hills. Many a weary step had some of them to take it, or they won it, 2 Samuel 5, 6. And when they came there, they still had the hill of God to ascend, even Mount Moriah, where the temple eventually would stand. So besides 
Slothfulness is the pathway to hell. Proverbs 13, 14, and 24. The sluggard is an unprofitable servant to himself and to his master. For an idler to get to heaven is a sort of contradiction. Heaven is a reward and therefore supposes working. Heaven is rest, a keeping of a Sabbath, and therefore supposes previous toil. Secondly, we must enter it voluntarily or seek it voluntarily. The Lord meets him that rejoices and works righteousness. When men do nothing in religion, but by compulsion, they cannot succeed. God's people are a willing people, and he cares not for compelled prayers or forced endeavors when hands go without the heart. Men naturally are enemies to heaven, and until heaven be in their heart instead of the world being in their heart, they will never seek it to purpose. We must also seek diligently. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat, Proverbs 11.2. We will lose it if we seek it not diligently. By much slothfulness, the building decays. Men are busy for the world. The devil is busy to keep us out of heaven. And shall we not seek it diligently? Fourth, we must seek it vigorously. We are commanded to ask, to seek, to knock. It is not easily gotten. Faint attacks will not break open the gates of this city. It is requisite that we summon together all the powers of our souls, and whatever our hand finds to do, do it with all our might. The iron is blunt, therefore we must exert the more force. Fervency in seeking is necessary to make it effectual. It is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. So, the properties of this seeking number five, we must seek it resolutely as Jacob sought for that blessing. We seek uh, what we cannot want, and therefore we must steal our foreheads and run through difficulties. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. The people that hearing of the the giants in the land, their hearts failed. They were obliged to turn back into the wilderness. They that mind for this city must have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6.15, that they may go forward through the rugged way. Sixth, we must seek constantly. We must be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15.5. We must not seek only by fits and starts that make our seeking uneasy. Hot and cold fits are signs of a distempered body. This work is for term of life. No man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Seventhly, We should seek it quickly, without delay, for we know not how soon our sun may go down. We must work the works of him that sent us while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Your glass or your timer is running. If your time be done before your interest in heaven be secured, it will be a heavy case. Hell is replenished with those that resolve to be better afterward. And then lastly, We must seek it evangelically, that is, in a gospel way. 
So this comprehends seeking first from a principle of new life called the life of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 4.10, that where we're always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Second, from a, a sweet motive of love to God, even the love of Christ constraining us. Third, from a noble end, the glory of God, the honor of the Redeemer, the glory of his grace and our own salvation. And then finally, doing all in borrowed strength, traveling through the wilderness, leaning on our beloved, denying ourselves. And so then this brings us to our fourth main point here uh, with regard to this doctrine that we have no continuing city, but it is our duty and the practice of the godly to earnestly seek it. So we've seen that we have no continuing city here. We've seen in what respects heaven is that continuing city. We just finished point three, opening the what it means that seeking, what that entails. And so now we come forth to the reasonableness of this point. And just, just two points here. Um, first, why it is the duty of all thus to seek the continuing city. Of course, he has some subpoints. There's five of them. First, because none of us have a continuing city here. Our old tabernacle is ready to fall down about our ears. What then shall we be doing but seeking that building of God? Hence we must remove. Is it not then highly reasonable that we should seek where we may take up our eternal lodging? Secondly, it is the command of God whose commands we are not to dispute but to obey. For a son honors his father and a servant his master. Now what is his command? It is, strive to enter in at the straight gate. What a cord of love is such a command, where duty and interest are so linked together. Third, because perfect happiness is only to be found there. That is the place where the soul-satisfying treasure only is to be found. Lay up for yourselves, then, treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break in, through to steal. You will never be able by any means to extract happiness from earthly enjoyments. Solomon had run around the world and viewed all, and what is his report? Even vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The very nature of the soul is such that nothing under the sun can satisfy it. Yea, the very erect form of the body teaches us to seek heaven. Fourth, it is a dreadful, dreadful contempt of heaven not to seek it. It was the sin of the Israelites that they despised the pleasant land. It is God's mansion house, the land where glory dwells. Not then to be at pains to attain it is a sin near akin to the sin of the devils who kept not their first estate but left their own habitations. Yea, it is a contempt of the blood of Christ, the price of which heaven was purchased. O sirs, prefer not in your practice the world to the glory of heaven. Observe Hebrews 12, 14 through 16. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Will men say that they prize heaven? 
when they will not be at, at pains to secure their title to it. And then lastly, there is no getting there without seeking it thus. There is no reaching the treasure of glory without digging for it. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If men must have yet a little sleep and a little slumber, outer darkness will be their waking place. Then secondly, let us show why it is the practice of the godly. And four quick points here. So they seek that city first because they have been convinced that they have no continuing city here. By the Spirit of the Lord, the gracious soul has seen an end of all perfection. He has got sight of the vanity and emptiness of created things, and this has turned his soul back again from the broken cisterns to the fountain of living water. They have seen that excellency in Christ, which has darkened the glory of created things. Secondly, because their treasure is in heaven, Matthew 6.21. If a man's treasure be in his coffers or in his barns, his heart will be there also. If it's in heaven, his heart will be there. Christ is the believer's treasure, and he is there. An eternal weight of glory is his treasure, and it is also in heaven. Third, because heaven is the only rest for the godly. The world is the place of their toil and pilgrimage. They have trouble from without and from within while here, but their rest is remaining for them above, Hebrews 4.9. They say to one another, as Naomi did to her daughters-in-law, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Rest is sought by everyone, and seeing the godly look not for it here, they must needs be looking for it there. And then fourthly, because this seeking is the native product of a new nature. The old nature carries the man downward and the new nature upward towards heaven. Grace is an active principle come from above into the heart and carrying the soul up to its own source. Everything desires its own preservation and perfection. Now glory is the best preservative and perfection of grace. It is, the, it is a fountain that will not be stopped, but will cast up its waters. It is in them a well of living water springing up to everlasting life. And so let's come to uh, a couple of applications. I believe there are three of them here. So our application. So if this is so that we have no continuing city here, well, how might we apply that? First... Let us be, or as a use, let us be informed and convinced of several particulars. Number one, then we must all die and be as spilt water upon the ground. Here our tent is sent down, but not to continue here. The pins of the tent must be loosed and man must go to his long home. Before long, you shall be arrested within the four posts of a bed, not to come forth till you be carried to the grave. Death will settle down on your eyelids. The fairest face shall be pale, the breath shall go, and the body crumble to ashes. For here we have no continuing city. <clears throat> Excuse me. Secondly, life in this world is but a short preface to eternity, an inconsiderable point between two vast terms. 
The world lasted some thousands of years before we were born in it. And how long after we are gone, who knows? But there is an eternity to succeed. Oh, that we could so tell our handbreadth of days as to apply our hearts to wisdom. Third, it is well with them who are gone to heaven. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Revelation 14.1 Rest is desirable. They had it not here, and now they have gotten it. Their weary days and nights are now at an end. Sickness and trouble shall be to them no more. Weep not for them, but for yourselves that are yet on this troublesome trip. See, we are abroad, but they are at home. Fourthly, behold here the vanity of all things below and the folly of valuing ourselves on account of them. When death comes, we must bid them an eternal farewell and leave what we have to others and they to others again until the fire at that last day consume all. Some have a beautiful tent Others a black and uncomely one, but against night all are taken down. Fifthly, their case is to be pitied and not envied who have their portion in this life. What good did the rich man's treasure do him in hell? Though a man act the part of a king on a stage, if he, is, if he has nothing when the curtain is drawn and the play is ended, he is in a pitiful case. And lastly, See the folly of men who are neglecting to secure their title to heaven. O oh, sirs, we are quickly carried down the stream. Ere long, we will be in eternity. Why then are you not making it your business to seek a continuing city, seeing that we have none here? Our second use is one of trial. Hereby we may try ourselves, whether we be truly religious or not. How does the pulse of your affections bear or beat? What is it that you are seeking? Is it heaven or the world? I told you in what this seeking consists, and upon this I would propose two questions. First, what desires have you after heaven? Are your souls yet reconciled to it? Could you get an abode here forever? Would you desire to remove? I fear that there are that many would even be content to settle down on this side of Jordan. They desire heaven, but not for contempt of the world, but for fear of hell. But a gracious soul cannot be content with this their sinful condition in the world, to want uninterrupted communion with God, which is only to be enjoyed above. Secondly, what endeavors are you using to get it? Simple wishes for heaven will never work. Many wish for heaven, but they work for hell. If this be not your main work to seek the continuing city, you will never get there. But alas, what little pains do most men take to get heaven? If coming to the church, giving the compliment of a morning and evening prayer to God, thinking of such he uses an old word, cold, rife, cold, lifeless, and dead suits, will bring them to heaven, well, then they will be sure of it. But they will never see it if they cannot reach it without cutting off right hands or without mortifying their lusts and without taking it by violence. And then 
A third use is one of exhortation. So there are several duties he would like to press upon us, and it's this. First, be content with such things as you have. Nature is content with little, grace with less. But corruption enlarges the soul as hell, that it never says that it has enough. Though a stranger get but bad accommodation on a journey, it pleases him to think that he is going home. He is not to stay with it. You are on your way to eternity. It is of little consequence whether a traveler has a cane in his hand or a rough stick. Either of them may serve, and both are laid aside at the journey's end. Secondly, do not sit down upon the world's smiles. If the world court you, do not give it your heart, but tell it that you are not to stay. Oh, it is hard to keep the heart from falling in love with a smiling word, with a smiling world, to take a large draught of, of carnal comforts and not to fall asleep. Before long, the richest shall be on a level with the poorest, and when the fool who sets his heart on wealth, comes to die, he cannot answer the question, who shall these things be which thou hast provided? Third, bear afflictions patiently. You are posting out of a place of afflictions. If you be not in Christ, ere long the cross will be turned into an unmixed curse. If you be in Christ, before long all tears shall be wiped away from your eyes. Fourth, what you do, do quickly. Beware of delays, they are dangerous. Our great work is to do good and to get good. Ply your work with all speed and diligence. Parents, do good to your children. Before long, they may be taken from you or you from them. And lastly, seek the continuing city that is to come. Oh, set yourselves to this work in good earnest. Apply to it with all diligence. Young and old, rich and poor, you must all go out of this world. Oh, strive to secure your lodging in heaven. And then finally, we have a couple of motives. Motive number one, consider that you are all seeking something. Man is a restless creature, always crying, give, give. The river runs as fast when it is overflowing its banks as when it is going in its proper channel. The watch moves as fast when it is going wrong as when it is going right. The spider is at, is at pains as well as the bee. Alas, many men are like the spider. It consumes its bowels to make its web. They exert themselves wholly for their bodies and they neglect their souls. Oh, what folly is this? Second motive, the devil is seeking to keep you out of heaven. He is constantly seeking whom he may devour. He wants not skill, or he lacks not skill, to contrive means for your ruin. He has had experience for thousands of years in that trade. He wants not malice nor cunning. And he will not be, and will not you be at pains for your own salvation? A third motive you have loud calls to this work. You have the call of the word of God. Wherefore has the Lord instituted ordinances among you but for this end? A master does not light a candle for his servants to play themselves around it. You are not shut up in the dark, muffled in in clouds of ignorance. 
The night is over and the day shines. Go forth then to your work and to your labor until the evening. The voice of providence calls loudly to you. God seems to be on his way against these lands for their contempt of the gospel. And I dare say, men under the gospel cannot but sometimes have their convictions. And then fourth, a fourth motive. Our abode here will be very short. Ere long, all of us shall be in an unalterable state. Some are at the borders of the grave, but all are going forward towards it. Our life is but a vapor, and our days a shadow that passes away. Let us then work the works of him that sent us. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, O Lord, we pray that thou would convict us where we have been derelict in our duty to seek after thee. O Lord, where we have plopped down in this earth, where we have taken in those things of this world and have thought that they could satisfy us, O Lord, forgive us. O Lord, stir up within us a desire to seek, uh, as we heard uh, by the sermon, to seek it, O Lord, even with violence, as it, as it says, that we might seek that country which is above. O Lord, we pray, encourage us to this labor. O Lord, thou hast equipped thy church, thou hast given unto her uh, preachers, thou hast given unto her, Lord, such things that, that thy word might be opened. Thou hast granted, as we heard, thine ordinances. Thou hast given unto us, Lord, many good things. Let these good things, we pray, Father, have their proper work among us. And let us labor, O Lord, according to those means, not trusting to those means, but let us labor, O Lord, to enter into that rest which is above. Let us be an encouragement one to another to seek that city which is above. O Lord, let us not settle for those things below which shall pass away. We ask in Christ's name, amen.